Hare Krishna. Sri Balaram Purnima Ki Jai. What a wonderful day, wonderful occasion. Now, is it just my imagination running away with me that I see many men wearing blue kurtas today? And many ladies wearing blue. Is it just an imaginary thing? Am I, it's just a mental projection? Is it by accident or design, men? It's by accident, is it? By design, is it? Okay. Ladies, is it by accident or design? Huh? Because Krishna is wearing blue. The decoration on the altar is beautiful, absolutely stunning. Blue and white. Why should it be blue and white today? Yes, Balaram. Balaram is white and he dresses in blue quite often, if not all of the time. And thereby lies an interesting feature of the relationship between Krishna and Balaram, which I hope to um, bring out in, uh, in my uh, uh, notes. Um, just recently I, I noticed the... Uh, the Los Angeles Rathiatra, where Krishna, Balaram, and Lady Subhadra, and Srila Prabhupada were escorted to the beginning of the Rathiatra site, processional site, onto the chariots, not only by a police escort, but by a fleet of color-coordinated Mustang convertibles. <laughs> you ask me, what would God choose to ride in, in Los Angeles? It's probably a Mustang convertible, but each one was color-coded for their particular lord. So we had a, a, a black one for Jagannath. We had a, a white one for Balaram. A golden one, a yellow one for Lady. And what color was Prabhupada riding in? Saffron color, yeah. <laughs> and as the police escort started up and there was blue flashing lights, usually those are... There's a color code in nature. The color coding in nature, if it is something is different, watch out. It's a warning. So a red flashing light, you know, blue flashing light. Something, something's about to happen that's completely different. If you see a bee, it's black and yellow stripes. If you see a, a snake, a rattlesnake, you get the stripes. So... In nature, these are color codes that something's, something's about to happen. So this is a color code that the uh, Krishna and Balaram are about to appear. Krishna and Balaram are about to appear. Um, before we get too flippant, let us recite together a beautiful prayer that was written by Srila Rupa Goswami, which will serve to focus our minds on some of the attributes of the Lord. Of course, when we wear these different colors and we do these different colors, it's, it's rather like any fan, any football fan, would paint their face in the color of the team. Every football team has colors. And sometimes the fans wear a scarf most of the time. If they're really ambitious, they wear a shirt. Uh, and if they're really, really ambitious, then they uh, paint their face in the color of the team. It does not mean that they're going to leap onto the pitch and play football. They're not allowed to do that. Only a select few are allowed to do that. But it does mean that their heart and mind are fully absorbed in the object of their devotion. But there's one thing even higher than football. 
And that is God. So when someone addresses themselves in a particular way, it's to remind themselves of the Supreme Lord. And that's why we wear tilak. So Lord Balaram wears tilak, Krishna wears tilak, and we wear tilak. That doesn't mean that we are trying to usurp the positions of Krishna and Balaram. It's like Pondraka. Pondraka, he came and he challenged Krishna, and he was wearing a set of false arms. He was wearing two arms strapped to the back of his shoulders, and one had the shank or the conch, another had the discus. And Krishna, Krishna just looked at that and he said, he said, you send a message to this man that there's a, he is a snake. He's imitating the position of the Supreme Lord. He looks very foolish. He said, no, 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 he's a, he's a frog. And there's a black snake called Krishna who's coming to gobble him up. <laughs> and of course, Pondraka was no more. So we don't imitate the attributes of God when we put tilak on, but rather we're saying that the highest part of my body, that part of my body in which all the pride is there, if a person is very proud, they, proud, they hold their head up high, don't they? Be proud. Hold your head up high. Okay, That's the message. If you're feeling down, hold your head up. Hold your head up high. Unfortunately, that can go a little too far, and you can be proud of something that you don't really possess or something which is temporary or something which was just given to you. Um, so in order to uh, chasten that, when you go to a place of worship, you take your hat off. Uh, take your hat off. You're in, a, you're in church. Take your hat off. Okay? If you go to a Sikh Gurdwar, of course, they say, or synagogue, they say, put your hat on. You're in the presence of God. So something has to change to remove your pride. So tilak is like that. You put tilak on so that the highest part of you is on the feet of God. And this is what we remember so our aim is to reduce the bodily demands and to increase the spiritual demands, to decrease the bodily identification and to increase the spiritual identification. And this we do in our life uh, as devotees. And these festivals are to help us understand our eternal relationships above and beyond the relationships that are so uh, precious to us. So with just this in mind, Srila Rupa Goswami one of the six Goswamis, he says the following. And I would like you to sit up straight, take a deep breath, put your hands together if you wish. It's always, it's always a good mudra for meditation. And repeat after me. Let me take shelter of the lotus feet of Balaram, whose beauty is enhanced by the earrings touching his cheeks. His face is decorated with tilak, made from musk, and his broad chest is decorated with a garland of small conch shells. His complexion is as white as an autumn cloud. He wears garments of blue color, and his voice is very grave. His arms are very long, touching his thighs. And he has shown great strength by killing the Pralamba demon. Let me take shelter of this chivalrous Balaram. Oh, what a wonderful prayer. What a wonderful prayer. And what a wonderful meditation also. 
These meditations bring out the essence of the person and allow us to, just for a few moments, meditate on him. Srila Prabhupada explains who uh, Lord Balaram is, um, and it's a good job, too, because Kanishta, Kanishta, which means the, uh, the beginning devotee, there is a tendency only to think of uh, one principle, you know, one essential thing, one God, one mantra, one book, uh, one color, <laughs> which um, makes it difficult for interfaith dialogue because, of course, everybody else has a different name or a different book or a different color or a different something else. We have a tradition in which there are many, many hundreds and thousands of names of God, all the colors of the rainbow, all the different avatars, and many, many books. Um, but Kanishta means it is very difficult to focus the mind on all of that. And so um, early on in Krishna consciousness, we focus our mind just on Krishna. And it's very, it's very easy. Actually, it's not easy if you grew up Christian, as I did, to focus your mind on Krishna. For the first nine months as a devotee, I really agreed with um, reincarnation and uh, the soul and the mantra and vegetarianism and all these things. And, but Krishna was, it was, it was a different conception for me. It was, I struggled, struggled with Krishna. Okay. What to speak of Balaram? What to speak of Balaram? Because Balaram is, Krishna's brother, that's very good, but what does he do? Krishna speaks the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna is the sum and substance of the Srimad Bhagavatam. But who is Balaram? This was always a great question for me. And then that question was resolved by Prabhupada saying he's Krishna's brother, and he's an expansion of Krishna, the primary expansion of Krishna, and so therefore he's fully under Krishna's control, but he plays the role as the servant of Krishna. So I thought, okay, I've done that. I've been there, I've explored Balaram. And I've got that. He's really a sort of puppet on a string as far as Krishna is concerned. But then actually when you read the stories about Balaram, you find that Balaram is a complete counterpoint to Krishna. He's a complete counterpart to Krishna. Just as music becomes more musical when we have harmony, isn't it, Jaidev? When you have harm, when you introduce harmony, which is a different note. Huh? When you have backing vocals, it's a different note than the singer is singing. So actually, you're sort of in opposition to the singer by singing a completely different note. But somehow or another, this singing of two different notes, or three, sounds better than the singer singing one note. That's why you always have a singer with backing singers. Okay? And if in a garden you plant yellow flowers, then you know right next to the yellow flowers you're meant to plant blue or purple because there is such thing as a, a color wheel and it will look better. It will set off the blue if you have yellow. So in this way, um, the, uh, uh, the contrast is increased between Krishna and Balaram, not just in the, the clothing, but in their speech, their activities and their opinions. And this is called um, God telling a story. When God tells a story, the essence of a story is drama. Essence of a story is drama which sometimes means conflict. Now, you wouldn't imagine that anybody could be in conflict with God himself. But actually, what we see that all the way through Krishna's Leela is conflict. We see all the different 
demons coming. And we see this conflict. And it enhances Krishna's supremacy when this conflict arises. And it makes it for a very palatable story. So sometimes in uh, the life of Krishna and Balaram, we see that Balaram had fundamental disagreements with Krishna. Fundamental disagreements in Krishna with Krishna. But this only allowed Krishna's pastimes to go ahead and be very nice. And the fact that 5,000 years later, we're still discussing these differences means that Krishna is the supreme creator of drama. Supreme creator of the story. So here's what Prabhupada says. He says, Sri Baladev is the supreme personality of Godhead himself. He is equal in supremacy to, Shri, to the supreme Godhead. Yet wherever Krishna appears, Sri Baladev appears as Krishna's brother, sometimes elder, sometimes younger. So wherever Krishna appears, and he appears, Yada Yada Hi Dharmasya Glani, he appears many, many times, and he always appears, there's always an older brother or a younger brother. This is Sankarshan, this is his position. Uh, in the teachings of Lord Chaitanya, he says, In his Vaibhava Prakash feature, Lord Krishna manifests himself as Balaram. The Balaram feature is as good as Krishna himself, the only difference being that the bodily hue of Krishna is dark and that Balaram is fair. And in Chaitanya Charitamrita, he gives a few more details. He says, Sri Balaram is the servitor Godhead, who serves Lord Krishna in all affairs of existence and knowledge. The transcendental abode exists by the energy of Lord Balaram. Krishna's first expansion in a form for pastimes is Balaram. Balaram himself helps in the pastimes of Lord Krishna, and he does the work of creation in four other forms. Who can name the four other forms? Chaturvyuha. Every time you put on tilak, you're remembering these names. If you put on tilak in 12 different places. If you put on tilak in one place, it's just Keshava. Huh? Vasudev. Sankarshan. And as the ladies are saying this here, they must put on tilak. Prajumna and Anirudh. Okay. So Balaram expands as Sankarshan, and then all these expansions have expansions, and everything within the material manifestation, cosmic manifestation, comes into order, including the different uh, 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 aspects of the Supreme Lord. Um, Balaram is always the servant of the Lord, Sankarshan is always the servant of the Lord. And he appears as his paraphernalia. So the Sheshanaga, upon which the Lord reclines in his Vishnu form. This is Sankarshan or Balaram. The temple of the Lord in which the Lord is housed. So if we see Radha and Krishna on the altar here, the altar is Balaram. Back to Vedanta Mana is Balaram because it supports Krishna and Krishna is the center of activity. When we pick up a Mridanga, Sometimes the Murdanga, in, especially in Navadvip, the uh, Murdanga gets the arty flame first. It's considered to be Balaram. Cartels of Balaram. The whole world is an expansion of Balaram. Sometimes people will come and say, don't lean on the temple wall during Kirtan. Kirtan, the temple wall is Balaram. So um, in order to be a servant 
in order to be a proper brother, you must, uh, the servant takes a very close position to his master, but that closeness is not um, a challenging closeness. He takes a lower position. So, for instance, a person who is a, a really good servant, we see when we look at the altar, we see Hanuman. He's very close to Ram, but his position is at the feet. He's always in a position where he uh, he serves him. At the same time, uh, when the Lord appears as uh, Krishna and Balaram, Balaram is the older brother. So Krishna is also serving Balaram sometimes, sometimes massaging his feet when they go to take the cows out to pasture. We'll find that Krishna doesn't say to Balaram, okay, foot massage, please. Right? He says, my dear brother, please um, sit down here in the grass. Put your back against this tree. Let me massage your feet. And then Krishna picks up a, a big leaf, big leaf, and big leaf, and begins to fan Balaram. So these positions are um, changed. But normally Balaram is the older brother, in a mood of service to Krishna. Um, <clears throat> there's many ways that he does this. So, for instance, Balaram was the chief instigator in getting Krishna into trouble. He went to his mother, Yashoda, and said, um, my brother's been eating dirt. He must be punished. <laughs> and then... Yashoda comes and says, well, have you been eating dirt? Let me look inside your mouth. Okay? So Balaram is there. I worked out that one. So uh, Krishna never came to back to Vrindavan, but Balaram did. Here's a contrast. He uh, comes and visits the inhabitants there. When, uh, when Balaram arranged the marriage of uh, his sister Subhadra, to um, uh, Duryodhan, um, Krishna uh, disagreed and he arranged the uh, marriage of uh, Subhadra to Arjuna. When Balaram heard this, he, you know, being the elder brother, the elder brother has the say on who the younger sister gets married to. My dear Krishna, you can't just marry our sister to whoever you like. I think that she should be married to to Duryodhan. And this is very strange because Duryodhan didn't like Krishna. So why does Balaram like Duryodhan? It doesn't seem to make sense. You know, the the uh, enemy of my friend is my enemy. So, of course, normally Krishna is, we say that he's, he's fair to everyone and Krishna tries to be fair. But with Duryodhan, he's just such a constant pain in the neck. You know, Krishna was very, very tolerant. He was very tolerant with Shishupal. How many times was he tolerant with Shishupal? No? 99 times? 99 times Krishna was tolerant with Shishupal. Then the 100th time, Krishna says, okay, that's it. Ching. <laughs> and then it was, you know, Shishupal was finished. Mid-sentence. <laughs> the very nice painting of Shishupal. And he's just, <laughs> and that's it. That's as far as he got. But even he, and the Acharyas are very quick to point out that Krishna is so kind that even Shishupal, who, who insulted Krishna 99 
and then one more time, a hundred times. Even he got a form of liberation. And the devotees of the Lord praise the Lord for his great kindness. Similarly with Putana, she came as a, a witch. Hmm? Actually, she came as a beautiful lady. She was going to breastfeed the children. Okay. And she wanted to poison Krishna. And Krishna gave her liberation. So was it Rupa Goswami who says, how, how wonderful is my Lord who, even though someone came to poison him, he gives them, you know, the highest, not quite the highest, but he gives them, he gives them liberation. This is a very kind person. So Krishna is very kind. Very kind with Duryodhana also. But uh, eventually, the battle of Kurukshetra took place because there was no other solution. And this is the point. When there's no other solution, then it's argumentum ad baculum, as the Latin scholars call it. Uh, there's different ways that you can try to argue with a person. And, uh, you know, words are the first way. Actually, listening is the first way. Helping them feel understood. And if I listen to you, that's a kind of looks like you've won because you're doing all the talking but I'm listening and in my listening I'm defeating you because I'm extending myself to you I'm trying to understand you so it's a very powerful weapon don't forget the power of listening it's very important very important so then comes the power of speaking then comes the power of um, what is it persuasion and offering of gifts okay if you if you do agree with me, I will, you know, I'll, I'll make it a, interesting for you. And then finally, when nothing else, argumentum ad baculum. So um, Krishna wanted to um, eventually make war. He, he went three times to the party of Duryodhana, and uh, he said, "All right, well, we have to have war." And then Balaram disagreed. No. He wanted to protect Duryodhana anyway, enough of it. And Krishna was praising Yudhishthir. Balaram says, well, he wasn't that good. You know, Krishna said, no, Shakuni cheated on the dice. And Balaram says, well, yeah, but he shouldn't have played dice with Shakuni. He could have played dice with anyone. My dear Krishna, the fact is that Yudhishthir is a, he's a bad dice player. He lost because he's, he's weak. So Krishna said, no, no, he lost because someone cheated. So, an, you know, this is Krishna and Balaram. There's a difference of opinion going here. So, would you like to hear from Srila Prabhupada instead of my speculations? <laughs> um, let us hear of the beautiful birth of Lord Balaram, which took place today, on this day. This is Balaram Purnima. Balaram Purnima. And Balaram Purnima is so-called because it is the uh, Shukla, Shukla Paksha, uh, Purnima Titi, and it is the month of Shavan, I hope. And it is this special day which occurs every year on a different Gregorian calendar date. It slides according to the calendar that you hang on your wall, but today is the date, is the day when we uh, appreciate the Lord in this form. It is the, it is the uh, Purnima, or the full moon, after Pavitropana uh, Ikarashi. It will always be Balaram, uh, uh, Balaram's appearance day. For some people, it is also this Rakshabandhan. 
Prakshapandan has done today. But in the south of India, they also do something called Upakarma. Upakarma means that uh, in honor of Balaram being the original guru, you could say, the access point to Krishna, you change your Brahmin thread. So those of you that are Brahmins, have a look at your thread right now. And if it's slightly faded, slightly yellow, you change it today at some stage. And there's a whole procedure for that. But we, um, So there'll be a lot of thread breaking and a lot of thread changing today all over India. Thread tying <laughs> and thread changing. And for us, reestablishing our thread of connection with Krishna. Uh, so Vasudev and Devaki were in the jail of King Kamsa. When Devaki became pregnant for the seventh time, a plenary expansion of Krishna, known as Ananta, appeared within her womb. Devaki was overwhelmed with both jubilation and lamentation. She was joyful, for she could understand that Lord Vishnu had taken shelter within her womb, but at the same time she was sorry that as soon as her child would come out, Kamsa would kill him. At that time, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna being compassionate upon the Yadus, who were fearful due to the atrocities committed by Kamsa, ordered the appearance of Yoga Maya, his internal potency. Krishna is the Lord of the universe, but he is especially the Lord of the Yadu dynasty. Yoga Maya is the principal potency of the personality of Godhead. In the Vedas, it is stated that the Lord, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, has multipotencies, Parasya, Shaktir, Vividaira, Shruyate. All the different potencies are acting externally and internally, and Yoga Maya is the chief of all potencies. The Lord ordered the appearance of Yoga Maya in the land of Brajabhumi, in Vrindavan, which is always decorated and full with beautiful cows. In Vrindavan, Rohini, one of the wives of Vasudeva, was residing at the house of King Nanda and Queen Yashoda. Not only Rohini, but many others in the Yadu dynasty were scattered all over the country due to their fear of the atrocities of Kamsa. Some of them were even living in the caves of the mountains. So we know Vasudeva and Devaki uh, because they were in the prison house of Kamsa, but Vasudeva had 15 other wives, 15 other wives, and they were scattered here and there. So Rohini was in... Um, the house of uh, Nanda Maharaj. The Lord thus informed Yoga Maya, under the imprisonment of Kamsa and Devaki and Vasudev, ah, Devaki and Vasudev, and at the present moment my plenary expansion, Shesha, is within the womb of Devaki. You can arrange the transfer of Shesha from the womb of Devaki to the womb of Rohini. After this arrangement, I am personally going to appear in the womb of Devaki with my full potencies. Then I shall appear as the son of Devaki and Vasudeva. And you shall appear as the daughter of Nanda and Yashoda in Vrindavan. Got it? Okay. Took me a while to get it, actually. All this, you know. Since you will appear as my contemporary sister, and since you will quickly satisfy desires for sense gratification, people within the world will worship you with all kinds of valuable presentations. 
incense, candles, flowers, and offerings of sacrifice. And all over the world now we see that the, the mother goddess, Yogamaya, is very attractive to people. Even when your particular religious tradition doesn't give you a mother goddess, people are very attracted to a mother goddess because that's reality. <laughs> it's reality that God is universal and God is attractive to all and that he appears in different ways. His potency is parasha shakti vividhaya shuryate. So um, all over the world now, whether you know this or not, women are calling out for God to be seen as the supreme mother. And they come to us and they say, well, I think God should be the supreme mother. And we say, that's okay. And they go, oh. they're happy, they're delighted. Yes, come to us. We're very good shopkeepers. Anything you want, we can give you. <laughs> Anything religion, you come to us. So Balaram appears. He was born in the house of Nanda Maharaj, where Rohini is living. This house is in Gokula, in Mahaban. And you can still go there today, to Nanda Maharaj's house. Some of the pillars are still there 5,000 years later. And this is called uh, the, uh, the Chorasi, uh, Chorasi Kumba. They call it Chorasikumba. There's another place called Chorasikumba, which is in Kamyavan. But Nanda Maharaj's house is all. And uh, I don't think you can quite get the um, uh, Chorasi, but it's quite... Uh, quite uh, Chorasi is... Um, 164. 84. 84. I'm just increasing the drama. Okay. So then along comes Putana and Trinavarta. 84. You sure? Because the, when I did Vrindavan Yatra, Brajmandal Parakrama is Chorasi Kosh. Yes, but Kosh is two miles, no? Oh, maybe I've got that wrong. I'm increasing the drama here. Okay. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. It's 84. So along comes Putana. Then we have Trinavarta, the whirlwind demon. Putana is a evil lady who wants to kill babies. And this is the hardly even born. Krishna and Krishna, Balaram is older but by uh, one year, but Krishna is uh, very small. And what's happening here? As soon as they're born... Sometimes we have in this demoniac Western so-called civilization, we have men who are interested in killing children. And we think, oh, Kali Yuga is going so rampant now. It's so bad. But here 5,000 years ago, we have Putana, who not only wanted to kill children, she already had killed children previously, and now she was especially gifted. She was coming to kill this one particular child, Krishna. So, of course, she failed in her attempt. But just the fact that in the, the golden age of Vedic culture, you can have a person who's dedicated, absolutely so dedicated to killing a child that they can come with poison smeared on their breast. Just imagine how evil that was. Today it would make the headlines, wouldn't it? Okay? Today it would make the headlines. Woman, woman breastfeeds child 
with poison on her breast, deliberately kills the child. We wouldn't stop hearing about it for a, a week, be in all the newspapers, be all over the world. Such an atrocious thing. And yet, just almost as soon as Krishna is born, Putana comes. And it's sort of a, 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 a harbinger of things to come. Because some acharyas say that a demon came every day. When Krishna was herding the cows, the calves first of all, and then the cows, every day, every day, every day someone came. And we were in the Krishna book, in the Bhagavad Purana, we only have the main features, the main demons. You know, we select a few. There's some small ones, but we pass those over, big ones. So practically speaking, there, there are 350 chapters, 350 chapters in Srimad Bhagavatam. 90 of them deal with Krishna, from Krishna's birth all the way through to his disappearance. So this is a lot, and those chapters are really big chapters. So practically more than a, you know, you, you can say, anyone that wants to prove that Srimad Bhagavatam is about, you know, the mother goddess or Vishnu or this and that, you're welcome to do that, but the actual statistics speak for themselves, as well as the beginning and the ending. So Bhagavatam is all about Krishna. So here we have these stories, and um, the next place we come to after the whirlwind demon is, uh, we haven't even got as far as the naming ceremony actually, but Gargamuni comes, and he says, are we doing okay? Tell me if I'm boring you, because the last thing I want to do is boring you, but there is a bit of reading today, because I just thought, you know, we're fasting, so let's make a day of it. <laughs> you know, there's no breakfast. You're here. I'm sitting here on this cushion because somebody, somehow or another they've asked me to speak something, but I'm not going to. I want to give you what Prabhupada says. So um, so then he says, so Gargamuni comes and uh, Nana Maharaj says, well, look, we better keep this low profile. You know, usually a naming ceremony is a big event. Right? I know when I do first grains or something, you know, you know, coach loads from Leicester come. Such a big event. What is the event? Well, we're just seeing a tiny little bit of porridge go in the mouth of a baby. And there's a coach load from Leicester turns up. Why is it such a big deal? Well, when you sign a signature, you know, especially if you're a world leader or two world leaders, and they sign the signature on a piece of paper, it's just one line of ink, but the whole world will be there. They'll have a big press conference. Why? Because it's such an important line of ink. So when a child is given their first grains, it's a very important teaspoon. So parents will go to a jeweler's shop and they'll buy a special silver teaspoon and, or a golden teaspoon. And then they'll frame the teaspoon and put it on the wall. And this is very... And those of you from English families are going, huh? huh? Uh, but uh, this, is, this is a very important thing. So Gargamuni comes and Nanamaraj says, you know, Given the situation that we've had one person trying to kill Krishna by, you know, the poison breast technique, another whirlwind demon has come. I just don't think we'll have the coach load from Leicester today. I just think we'll have very small numbers. Nanda Maharaj said, if there is such danger, then it is better not to plan any gorgeous name-giving ceremony. It would be better for you to simply chant the Vedic hymns and perform the purificatory process. We belong to the twice-born caste. And, you know, and I'm taking this opportunity of your presence. 
So please perform the name-giving ceremony without external pomp. Nana Maharaj wanted to keep the name-giving ceremony a secret and yet take advantage of Gargamuni's performing the ceremony. When Gargamuni was so eagerly requested by Nana Maharaj, he performed the name-giving ceremony as secretly as possible. And he went into a cow barn, secretly as possible. It was a secret ceremony. Went into a cow shed of Nana Maharaj. He informed Nana Maharaj that the son of Rohini, Balaram, would be very pleasing to his family members and relatives and therefore would be called Rama. Okay? Because he was the son of Rohini, he would be called Rohini Nandana. Because he was, because he was be pleasing, he was called Bala Rama. In the future, he would be extraordinarily strong and therefore he would be called Bala Deva. Bala Deva. So strong, attractive, who gives pleasure to Mother Rohini. Gargamuni said further, because your family and the family of the Yadus are so intimately connected and attracted, his name will also be Sankarshna, one who attracts, one who pulls. This means that Gargamuni awarded three names to the son of Rohini, namely Balaram, let's shout it out loud, namely Balaram, Balaram. Sankarshan, and Baladev. But he carefully did not disclose the fact that Balaram had also appeared in the womb of Devaki and was subsequently transferred to the womb of Rohini. Krishna and Balaram are real brothers, being originally sons of Devaki. Okay, you have to remember that. They're real brothers. Okay. So then the boys immediately, almost as soon as they can crawl, they start getting into trouble. And Krishna and Balaram form a gang with the other boys of going to steal butter, yogurt, milk, uh, whatever is available, <laughs> we'll steal. Because <laughs> it's a hot day and the butter's kept cool in pots and they're looking and they're thinking it's like ice cream for them. Have you ever had makan? Had makan, the traditional makan? I was in <clears throat> I was in Nanda Maharaj's house, and His Holiness Lokanath Maharaj, he said, "Well, we should have makan." He said, "You should understand what is makan." He said, "Because it is not this yellow butter from New Zealand. <laughs> uh, it is not this anchor. It is not this lurpak." Well, he didn't say that, but he said, "You should understand what is makan." He said, "So go and find some makan." And then we had a little picture. Uh, well, a big picture like this of baby Krishna that we had worshipped that morning. Because all over Vrindavan where you go, there's Krishna in the attitude of that particular pastime that took place at that place. So as you go through the uh, 128 miles of the, or Chorasi Kosh, of the, maybe I walked further, maybe it was further, but you do this barefoot walk and... Uh, if you haven't done it, can I please, please, sitting on this cushion, having the microphone today, please ask you to do it once in your life. Just once in your life if you do this. It's absolutely fantastic. It'll really bring you close to the pastimes. And you'll be able to sort out in your head, probably for the first time, where all these pastimes happened. Because they're all higgledy-piggledy, and it's a big jigsaw puzzle when you come to the Krishna book. But if once in your life you walk that distance, no shoes, 
I guarantee that the pain that you experience on your feet will drive into your brain, as they say, no pain, no brain gain. All the pastimes of Krishna will be firmly cemented in your head. And every time someone mentions a word, just like that, just like that song we sung this morning, as they were singing the different words of the song, I was remembering, first of all, I remember the pain in my feet, but then I had a picture of the place, and either I had a picture of the service that was done at that place, or the kindness that was shown to me by the, usually the mothers of the village, they would come out, and seeing someone, especially someone white, <laughs> because there wasn't too many English people, actually I was the first English person to do it, but seeing, seeing a white man walking barefoot, you know, through their village as an act of religious devotion, it was too much for some of them. They would cry and they would come and I was drowning in chas. <laughs> drowning in chas. Drowning in vajra roti. <laughs> drowning in, uh, you know, kitchri. Um, so the, the former two are okay, but kitchri, <laughs> I can... Especially cold kitchri, even from a Brajbasi village, cold kitchri is not uh, not my type of thing. But anyway, the love that they showed was was wonderful. So I remember that love, and I think how how it must have been in those days. There was, there was now there's not enough there's not enough love to go around, is there? There's not enough love in the world to go around. We're very guarded with our love. We're very guarded with our affection, because I'm not sure you trust me and I'm not sure I trust you so when that distrust means I can't express I can't give you love you see and love has also become channeled into um, you know just just as being a tool for trying to manipulate a person but in those days there was a there was a lot more love so the, the reason why Putina was led into the house I mean imagine the situation those of you that have had babies imagine you know, someone that you don't know, someone from, you know, another part of town or from another town completely, knocks on the door and says, can I breastfeed your child? <laughs> Immediately you'd ring up social services or you'd ring the police. You'd say, there's someone come wants to breastfeed my child. I don't know who they are. But in those days, there was enough love around that people would even breastfeed each other's children. And that's why it was easy for Putin to, to get away with these things. So you might think, yes, because all these things happened, now you have to be so careful. But, you know, I usually say, to, I usually ask this question, I say, how many of you know the person who's, I grew up in a village, small village, in Cornwall, and everybody knew everybody. And sometimes that was quite painful. Because as soon as you did something, your business would be all over town, all over the village. Oh, you're the one that stole the apples from Mr. Uh, how did you know? Well, it was the village grapevine. Uh, but um, it really helped at times. And there were times when my family really needed some assistance. So it was then that people of the same village who could be what we call nosy parkers. They came forward and they helped with food and they helped with um, different things trips to the seaside, etc., like that sort of thing. So um, I got a little bit of that. It's just 
you know, this is one place that is very, uh, Lord Balaram was very fond of it because he and Krishna used to go there and they used to play with the turtles in the water, the kachapa. They used to play with the turtles, they used to hang on to the turtles. And if you hang on to a very large and strong turtle, the turtle will pull you through the water. So they used to go and play to that, they used to go back to that place. So in that place, or just downstream, from the upstream, from that place, is Ramagat. And that is where for two months, Lord Balaram danced the uh, Ras Leela with his own gopis, not the same gopi maidens as, as Krishna. So he was there at that time, drinking Varuni, drinking Varuni beverage, which is a slightly intoxicating mixture of honey, honey and water. And uh, when you go to that temple, there's a very nice temple there, and Balaram is, uh, he's, uh, he's got his uh, wives by the side of him, and in, in the middle he's got his uh, pot, and the pot, the pujari always keeps that pot filled with honey. And of course, Mahaprasadam from that temple is honey. But then, by Mother Nature's arrangement, or by the local devotee's arrangement, I don't know. But you go out, and there is the biggest beehive that you've ever seen. Biggest beehive. If you look at this door behind me, from uh, the top to the bottom, and almost as wide as the door, that's the size of the beehive. They've just, you know, it's just grown, grown, grown. And nobody objects to bees in that village. Because the bees are also servants of Balaram. They make the honey, and then the honey is tapped and taken straight into the temple just across the village path. So it's a wonderful arrangement. So it's very easy to remember Balaram in that spot. And it's very easy for me to remember that spot because I was fed so nicely in that spot. So every time I see, I, I read the words, Jaya Rama Gata, Jaya Rohini, Rohini Nandan, I think of that spot. And suddenly my mouth becomes filled with honey. <laughs> so these words should kick off remembrances. And if you don't have remembrance for a particular word or a particular pastime, then Brajmandal Prakrama uh, is very, uh, very handy. So anyway, they stole butter, and then Balaram told on Krishna he's been eating dirt. Mother Yashoda had that vision of the universal form. Then comes binding Krishna. Then comes Vatsasura, Bakasura, and Agasura. And with Agasura, we reach five years old. So all the pastimes that I've mentioned are all before Krishna and Balaram are even five. Okay? So under five is known as Komaram. Five to ten is known as Pauganda. Ten to fifteen is Kaishora. And after fifteen is known as Yovanam. And all these pastimes are uh, uh, divided. So, but sometimes, you know, Balaram was, uh, you know, sort of um, playing the older brother, and sometimes he played the younger brother. Just listen to this. The cows taken care of by Krishna. Thank you very much for your patience, by the way. I know it's, I know it's a hard thing, especially when it gets to, you know, breakfast time, and you start having an imaginary breakfast in your mind, and suddenly the the person who's giving the, the class just is, you know, it turns from something interesting into a, the droning of a bee. Blah, 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 blah. 
<laughs> I know it's difficult. And it'll be difficult round about now because the stomach, the stomach is saying to you, feed me. I love you. Feed me. I'm so devoted to you. I'm only here for you. Feed me. And your mind goes, not right now. I'm interesting to, I, I'm listening to an interesting class. And then they look at the person giving class and the speaker giving class is going, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Krishna something, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I know, I've been there. The cows taken care of by Krishna had different names. And Krishna would call them with love. After hearing Krishna calling, the cows would immediately respond by mooing. And the boys would enjoy this exchange to their heart's content. They would all imitate the sound vibrations made by the different kinds of birds, especially the chakoras, peacocks, cuckoos, and buttered vajas. Don't ask me. Sometimes when they would see the weaker animals fleeing out of fear of the sounds of tigers and lions, the boys, along with Krishna and Balaram, would imitate the animals and run away with them. When they felt some fatigue, they would sit down, and Balaram would put his head on the lap of one of the boys just to take rest, and Krishna would immediately come and begin massaging the legs of Balaram. And sometimes Krishna would take a palm fan and fan the body of Balaram, causing a pleasing breeze to relieve him of his fatigue. Other boys would sometimes dance or sing while Balaram took rest. And sometimes they would wrestle amongst themselves or jump. When the boys were thus engaged, Krishna would immediately join them and catching their hands, he would enjoy their company and laugh and praise their activities. So, um, then we come to the first time that uh, the, at least the Acharyas have seen fit to share with us the major killing of a major demon that was all the work of Balaram. And his name was Denuka, Denukasura. And as the childhood song goes, which I, I'm not going to embarrass myself as I did last year by singing it, <laughs> in the forest of Talavan, Lord Krishna and Balaram killed the Denukasura by whirling him around and around. So the donkey demon, the ass demon, was thrown into the trees and all the fruits were able to be eaten by Krishna and Balaram. In the forest of Talavan. It's a, look, it breaks the tummy rumblings, okay. In the forest of Talavan. Lord Krishna and Balaram killed the Denukasura by whirling him around. You've got to do the actions, you see. By whirling him around and around. Thank you. Just indulge me. As people get older, Jai Lakshman, as people get older, they just, you know, <laughs> they get less philosophical and more playful, you see. So um, then comes uh, Pralamba. Pralamba means separation. Pralamba means separation. V. Pralamba is highly separated. But Pralamba means the demon who tried to separate uh, Balaram from the rest of the cowherd boys. You know the story. He came and he pretended to be a cowherd boy himself. These very expert demons can manifest themselves in any form. And he manifested himself in the form of a 
a fellow cowherd boy, the same shape and same size. Happy disposition. And then Prolumba was his name and Prolumba was his activity. So um, uh, Balaram was on top of his shoulders and uh, as he moved away, as he took Balaram away from everyone else, then he got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I want to read it because it brings out the um, sort of the playful killing of Balaram. Well, no, I won't. So um, it's important now to know that it's not just, these are not just the pastimes which the Lord has come for. There are other pastimes waiting to take place. With all this, um, uh, Nanda Maharaj had begun to worship Lord Nishingadev. If you um, go to Nanda Maharaj's house um, in, well, let me back story that. Nanda Maharaj had an older brother. He also had an older brother called Upananda. And their father was Parajanya Maharaj. And uh, since Balaram was the uh, foster son of Nanda Maharaj, he was taken to be the grandson of Parajanya. So Nanda and Upananda had lived on top of a hill. Before Nanda Maharaj had moved to Gokula, he'd lived on top of this hill called Nandishwara. Um, so then what happened was you know, it's easier to defend yourself from all these disturbances, these all these demons, if you live on top of a hill. Put your hand up if you've been to Nandagram. Got nice and nice and very good. So, if you've been to Nandagram, you know it's quite a an unusual manifestation because Vrindavan is very flat. It's so flat that you know you can ride a bicycle without too much strain all over Vrindavan, most of it. And uh, then these these three hills, and they seem to just boom come out of the landscape like this. There's uh, anyway, one of them is Nandagram, called Nandagram because Nanda Maharaj and his whole family decamped from Gokula, which is in Mahavan, to uh, uh, Nandagram, and uh, they lived very peacefully there. But Nanda Maharaj also every day he worshipped Lord Nishingadev. Why did he worship Lord Nishingadev? Because Nishingadev is for the protection. Of everyone, so he thought. Well, my child Krishna and Balaram—they keep getting attacked by these strange beasts and half men, half beasts, and strange birds. We had Bakasura, we had Agasura, this huge snake. So let us move to another place. Unfortunately, however, this was also the place where. Um, well, he wasn't a demon; he was a devotee, but he caused even greater pain than if he had been a demon. Because the demons, they had not taken Krishna away. But this particular personality, he came, and somehow or another, he was able to slip through the security at the bottom of the hill, slip through the security at the top of the hill, slip right into Nanda Maharaj's house, and just, how did he do that? Because his name was Akrura. And he'd come with an invitation from Kamsa, for a wrestling match. And um, Acharyas have very long descriptions of how these two boys, Krishna and Balaram, perhaps you've seen the painting, perhaps you've heard those stories, how Krishna and Balaram, uh, they were, the, you know, the parents said, well, we're not too sure about this, but you're, uh, how old were they now? 11 years old. 
You're 11 years old now. You can go and you can... And imagine, 11 years old, you're going to fight in a wrestling match. I don't think any parent now would allow it. But I guess a Vedic 11 is a slightly more mature 11. Hmm? And uh, certainly Krishna and Balaram had proved themselves time after time after time since their very birth. They proved themselves that they were good at handling these demonic forces. And so um, Nanda Maharaj very, very reluctantly let them go. But he cried a, a flood of tears, so much so that it was a puddle that turned into a lake, that turned into a stream. Uh, and as you stand on the top of um, Nandagram, there's a long, still a long chariot road that goes off into the distance, which take, took the boys to uh, uh, Mathura. But now here's something very special that happened along the way. As they were leaving the boundaries of, uh, you know, Vrindavan to go into Mathura, something very special uh, happened. And um, the boys went to take bath. Now it says that um, a, uh, a sannyasi should take bath three times a day. A householder should take bath two times a day. And a brahmachari can take bath one time a day. Okay? It doesn't mean that we have smelly brahmacharis. But in the hot, uh, hot Indian sun, this is definitely a good principle. And certainly when you have uh, beautiful crystal clear rivers and streams to bathe in, when water is very, uh, you know, we take it for granted sometimes, but uh, when water is plentiful, then it's a, a wonderful opulence. So um, the Lord accompanied by Akrura and Balaram traveled in the chariot with great speed toward the bank of the Yamuna. Simply by taking a bath in the Yamuna, anyone can diminish the reactions of his sinful activities. Krishna and Balaram took their baths in the river and washed their faces. After drinking the transparent crystal clear water of the Yamuna, they took their seats again on the chariot. The chariot was standing underneath the shade of big trees, and the two brothers sat down there. Akrura then took their permission to also take a bath in the Yamuna. According to Vedic ritual, after taking a bath in a river, one should stand at least half submerged and murmur the Gayatri mantra. While he was standing in the river, Akrura suddenly saw Balaram and Krishna within the water. He was surprised to see them there because he was confident that they were sitting on the chariot. Confused, he immediately came out of the water and went to see where the boys were. And he was very much surprised to see that they were sitting on the chariot as before. When he saw them on the chariot, he began to wonder whether he had mistakenly seen them in the water. He therefore went back to the river. This time he saw not only Balaram and Krishna, but many of the demigods and all the Siddhas, Charanas, and Gandharvas. They were all bowing down before the Lord. He also saw Lord Sheshanaga with thousands of hoods. Lord Sheshanaga was covered with bluish garments, and his necks were all white. The white necks of Sheshanaga appeared exactly like snow-capped mountains. On the coiled lap of Sheshanaga, Krishna was sitting very soberly, 
with four hands. His eyes were like the reddish petals of the lotus flower. In other words, after returning to the Yamuna, Akrura saw Balaram turned into Sheshanaga and Krishna turned into Mahavishnu. He saw the four-handed supreme personality of Godhead smiling very beautifully. The Lord was very pleasing to all and was looking toward everyone with a merciful glance. He appeared beautiful with his raised nose, broad forehead, attractive ears and reddish lips. His arms reaching to the knees were very strongly built. His shoulders were high, his chest was very broad and his neck was shaped like a conch shell. His navel was very deep and his abdomen was marked with three lines. His hips were broad and big, resembling those of a woman. And his thighs resembled the trunks of elephants. The other parts of his legs, the joints and lower extremities, were all very beautiful. The nails of his feet were dazzling, and his toes were as beautiful as the petals of the lotus flower. His helmet was decorated with very valuable jewels. There was a nice belt around his waist, and he wore a sacred thread across his broad chest. Bangles were on his hands, and armlets on the upper portion of his arms. He wore bells on his ankles. He possessed dazzling beauty, and his palms were like lotus flowers. He was further beautified by the different emblems of the Vishnumurti, the conch shell, club, disc, and lotus flower, which he held in his four hands. His chest was marked with the particular signs of Vishnu, and he wore fresh flower garlands. All in all, he was very beautiful to look at. Akura also saw his lordship surrounded by intimate associates, like the four Kumaras, Sanaka, Sanatan, Sananda, and Sanat Kumar, and other associates like Sunanda and Nanda, as well as demigods like Brahma and Shiva. The nine great learned sages were there, and also devotees like Prahlad and Narada Muni, and the great Vasus. Akrura immediately became overwhelmed with great joy and devotion, and all over his body there was transcendental shivering. Although for the moment he was bewildered, he retained his clear consciousness and bowed down his head before the Lord. With folded hands and faltering voice, he began to offer prayers to the Lord. So this is wonderful vision. And Akrura becomes, uh, gosh, he becomes um, ecstatic upon seeing the identity of uh, Krishna and uh, Balaram, or however they manage to uh, manifest themselves in this particular in this particular way. So, um, if you um, before we leave Vrindavan, um, if you go to Vrindavan today, there's a forest called Madhuvan, the forest of honey. This is the same place. It is said that uh, Dhruva Maharaj attained his vision of Prishni Garba by chanting the mantra, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. And if you go there, there is, you'll find a temple dedicated to Prishni Garba. It's one of the first uh, forests that you go to as you're leaving Mathura. Mathura is hard, actually. I mean, it's wonderful, but it's very congested, noisy, diesel fumes. You're walking barefoot on gravel all day. Um, there's very nice places that you can go and see. You see the original Keshava, and you go to Vishramgat, and you go around, and then you see the place where 
Ah, uh, you see the place where Kamsa attempted to, you know, foolishly he thought he could kill Yogamaya, and where she went up into the, and that there's another temple there called the Mahavidya Devi Temple. You still see today, five thousand years later, the coloured streams made by the men who dye cloth, and you think of Krishna and the cloth seller, and Krishna and the flower seller as Krishna and Balaram entered into. Matura and the different relationships with different people like that. It's interesting that of the two, Balaram seems to be slightly more easily upsettable, doesn't it? Whether it's a cloth seller or whether it's Romaharshan Sutta, you know, that was dispatched with a little, you know, kusha straw, whether it was uh, Rukmi or the king of Kalinga who had his teeth smashed out because he laughed at Balaram losing the chess match. Uh, whether it's Dvivida Gorilla and uh, he seems to be slightly more well, who's another one uh, slightly more irascible you could say slightly more quick quick to rise to the occasion anyway so you, you remember these things as going on but it's a very tough day and then you come to Mahavan which is very very nice and after Mahavan is Talavan and of course it's easy to remember Balaram in uh, Mahavan, because there's a beautiful deity of Balaram there. And next door to Mahavan, Talavan, uh, or a little down the road, of course. And uh, this is where Lord Balaram killed the Denukasara. Talavan used to be a van, but now, unfortunately, there's only one tal tree in the whole of the forest. So we've got a lot of work to do. When we've spread Krishna consciousness all over the world, we can go to Vrindavan and Start planting trees. If each of you just plant one tal tree in Taliban, just one tal tree, the only place that you can go where you get some understanding of what it was like in uh, the times that we speak of in the Krishna book is pretty much Kamyavan. If you go to Kamyavan, you can walk through the Kamyavan forest, which some, no, God knows how, they've been able to preserve. And there are sufficient trees that you can get an understanding as I'm in a forest. There's only one spot in the whole, you know, the whole region. So because there's firewood, there's people moving in. Unfortunately, what happens when you have a holy place? Everybody wants to be holy. They want their life to be changed by getting close to God in the place where he used to be. And so they go there, and then they need to keep warm in the wintertime. So they cut down trees. So the very thing that they came to see is no longer there. It's pretty much a concrete, you know, the forest of concrete. So in this generation, we need to get very serious about people changing Vrindavan into the concrete van. We need to plant trees. So when we've done with the business of spreading Krishna consciousness all over the world, let us not forget Vrindavan. The, whole, the, the, the Vrindavan, the very place that we're telling people about, let's make sure that there's a Vrindavan for our children and our children's children. And that's why people are getting very serious about planting trees. And the next thing you do after planting trees is protecting those trees from animals and all kinds of tree choppers who come there because people come and they just see one tree. If I just cut down this one tree, what's the harm? And thereby, if you multiply that hundreds of thousands of times, everything is gone. That's like saying, if I just give a book on Krishna... Or if I just tell one person about Balaram, what good will it do? It's just one person. 
But if hundreds of thousands of people do it, then you have something called a spiritual movement. Therefore, ISKCON, as a spiritual movement, can only exist, can only continue to exist, or any mission can only continue to exist, when each and every member says, yes, let me tell one other person about Krishna. Let's just say one person. Let me tell one person about something. You see, then it happens. Okay. We're good at, you know, we're good at spreading bad news sometimes, aren't we? Did you hear? Have you heard about that? It's, it's a big controversy. Everybody's talking. No, please tell me. Yeah. Well, what he said was what she said. Was very good at spreading that kind of thing. So, um, if you go to, uh, in the Taliban forest, there is a black deity of uh, Balaram. He's three and a half feet high. He's with Ravati, and he has his right hand raised in uh, Abai, Abai Hasta, giving blessings to everyone, removing their uh, fear. Uh, but the biggest deity of Vrindavan, before we leave Vrindavan and get on to the later pastimes, how long do you want me to speak for? Another 15 minutes? Can you, can you manage till 10 o'clock? Who can manage till 10 o'clock? That's just 12 minutes time. And I can compress everything down into 12 minutes. Otherwise I can, I can, it, it's like Jayadev's accordion. It can either be this size for transport or it can be this size for full-fledged kirtan. My accordion says 11 o'clock. Your accordion says 11 o'clock. Well, you see, if I was really good at this, actually if I was very good at this, I'd have a beard. And I'd have lots of rings on my finger with a harmonium. And I would, I would have sung you a couple of songs before now. And my voice would have gone, uh, and, but I'm not. I don't play the harmonium, I don't have rings, and I don't have a beard. So you'll just have to make do with the, um, the interrupted storytelling. But um, the biggest deity of uh, Balaram is, of course, in a place called... Uh, what's it called? It's Daoji. He's the deity. But is the village called Daoji as well? Everybody just says Daoji. Daoji ke rasta? Ye rasta? Daoji? So, um, and this is Daoji, and he is uh, six feet six inches tall. Six feet six inches. And he's also black. He also has a right hand raised, but he's got huge eyes. And his left hand, yes, left hand, not very good with left and right. Should have seen me tying up my shoelaces. But left and right, he has also has a cup for Varuni beverage. And um, he was established. Um, this is how you establish deities, just so you know. Just so you know, when you establish a deity... You do it to last 10,000 years. That's why we're very cautious when we establish Radha and Krishna in one of Srila Prabhupada's public temples. We're very, 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 very cautious because you're meant to establish the worship with a vision that in 10,000 years' time, these deities will still be here, still being worshipped here. They're not movable. Okay? Gornatai, they're, you know, different. They move all the time. So I, you know... I used to have Gornatai deities. They were in the uh, Edinburgh temple. Then they were established in uh, uh, a traveling bus that we had here at Bhaktivedanta Manor. And then they moved to Inishrath in, uh, you know, in Northern Ireland. 
and they've been there for 25 years. So the concept of movable Gornutai is there. But movable Vishnu, never. Never. The only time you move is when the Mughal army is about to come. And you know that as soon as they come, they will smash. So either then you bury the deities or you put them on wagons and then you take them to Jayapur. And that's why Jayapur has, what is it, eight, nine original Vrindavan deities. They all went there, including uh, Nathji. Nathji also went. For the first time in my life, can you believe it? I've been a devotee for more than 40 years. Uh, I've never been to see Nathji. So I'd, I'd lose my Gujarati credentials. Okay? Never been to see Nathji. Uh, but I went to Nathdwar just early on this year in February. And Nathdwar, now in my mind, Nathji had all, uh, was always six foot six inches tall. And then I went to Nathdwar and I saw actually he's, he's about half that. If, if that. And uh, it was a great surprise to me. But anyway, the point is that these deities, Dalji, in this village, has been there for 4,900 years. So you're looking at a deity, and the worship has been going on for 4,900 years. This is, you know, the, in this country, you know, um, uh, 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 the National Trust would have moved in a long time ago and put a preservation on it, order on the whole thing. And, you know, when, the, when you go to these temples... It's sort of an organized, semi-organized chaos, isn't it? Semi-organized chaos. And it can get very vicious because the Pujaris know that the emotions of the people for Balaram will make them, you know, sort of throw themselves at the deity and beg forgiveness and beg that my son goes to college and beg that, beg that I can be free from this disease so that you have to be kept away from the deity. So the, uh, there's so many people going and so many people coming that they have, uh, you know, the, the crowd control is, is basically pushing and shoving. And then um, all through the village, as you walk through the village, on either side of the village, there's these huge piles of rock crystal sugar. And you buy rock crystal sugar, give it to the Pujari. And of course, we from Iskon, we expect the Pujari that there'll be some loving relationship between the Pujari and Balaram. And of course... Because you've, you've walked many painful miles to get there that you think, oh yes, he will obviously see that I've come a long way to see Balaram and he will, you know, take special precautions to establish a, a loving relationship between me and the deity. But you, you give them the rock sugar and they throw it at Balaram like this. Throw it. And of course it all lands on the floor. And Balaram is surrounded by all this rock crystal as and this is it. This is the puja. Just throw on the floor. Next. <laughs> throw. Next. 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 So many people are coming. All hours of the day. This is just... Uh, there's no time for ringing bells and tears in the eyes. Pick up the sugar. Throw it. <laughs> but it's love. It's another type of love. And you cannot say... You cannot say that these people... Um, because of the lack of finesse or sophistication or bell ringing, don't love Balaram. They do. They love him very much. And that's why they're able to stay there year after year after year after year. I once went to see, I once went to uh, Ahobilam, the place of Lord uh, Nishingadev, where there's nine different deities of Lord Nishingadev. And you go through 
different parts of the jungle to go and see them. And it's quite scary because there's still tigers there. And you hear these howler monkeys. And their howl is much more scary than, you know, who they are. And uh, but it's, when you hear it for the first time, you think, oh, <laughs> and you you're you know you you're walking through this jungle area and you hear the <laughs> and you think, oh my word! And I went to see this uh, particular deity, and this deity is deep inside a cave, and one young man was there, and he'd been there for some years, and we were in a cave, and he has to go even deeper inside the cave. And he's almost bent double. And there's only sitting room when you get to the altar. And sitting room with your head like this. And he then he turned round to face me. And I've never, ever in my life seen a bigger smile than on that young man's face. And I was thinking, this person comes here every single day. And he's sitting doing puja in a place where he can only sit cross. I mean, look at me. It's difficult for me to sit. Anybody that can sit cross-legged gets my <laughs> gets my my praise. Hard to sit cross-legged in a dark cave, just candle lit. He's almost bent double, but he's in ecstasy. What a special birth to be able to serve the Lord in that way. And so um, there's a special relationship there, and um, we should we should also pray for that relationship. Prabhupada has given us Krishna and Balaram. We just have to say thank you. Now I will serve. We just have to choose to serve, that's all. He's given us Krishna and Balaram. He's given us Radha and Krishna. He's given us Jagannath. He's different. given us Gornatai. He's given us Prabhupada In one place, one purport, Prabhupada says, he says, take your pick. <laughs> There's households. The households can, can worship any form of the Lord that they're attracted to. And the Lord will appear to them in their home and they can serve him in that way. Anyway, um, and near that temple is a place called Shira Sagar Kund. And uh, as an offering to Balaram, one time, um, the uh, milk from a 100,000 cows was brought there. The local king arranged for a 100,000 cows to uh, bring as an offering to Balaram. But like many holy places, Balaram was, uh, had to be uh, rediscovered uh, at one point. Now we move out of Vrindavan, my dear friends. I'm sorry. But just as Krishna chooses to uh, become affiliated with the land that we now call Gujarat. Any Gujaratis here by any chance? Okay. For some reason, I don't know. I don't know why Krishna chooses Gujarat to go to. And you're very lucky. Because Krishna lived there for a lot longer than he lives in Vrindavan. And he has many wonderful pastimes. But we have, and you can choose which pastime you want. I, I'm ready to read any to you, or no, none at all. But we have the wedding of, uh, of course, Krishna and Balaram. I should mention they go to Mathura. They, they fight with Mushtika. Uh, 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 huh? Chanura, yeah, Chanura. Chanura and Mushtika. Eventually they vanquish uh, Kamsa. And of course, as many other pastimes take place, and uh, Krishna establishes Dwarka. Now Dwarka, you should understand, although Krishna established Dwarka, it wasn't that there was nothing there. Uh, it, originally it was um, a, there was a kingdom called 
uh, Anatta. And the king of that place was known as, this is a very, very important Leela, and I'll tell you why, and it's gone. Anyway, the king of that place, he had a beautiful daughter, and as kings often do. So where Dwarka is, where, where Dwarka then became, was further out off the coast, um, but there was already a kingdom there, and uh, the king there wanted to marry his daughter. And uh, so they went, he, he said, well, there's, there's no, in typical fashion, every father thinks that there's, uh, there, there is no son qualified to marry my daughter. Okay? It's like, it's like Duryodhan. Every father becomes Duryodhan when it's time for marrying his own daughter. As Krishna said to Duryodhan, I want you to find someone who's better than you. Find a warrior who's better than you. And Duryodhan went, went, went all over and he said, I'm sorry, I can't find anyone who's a better fighter than me. Then Krishna said to Yudhishthir, I, I want you to go out and find someone who's worse of a human being than you. And Yudhishthir goes all over and he said, I'm sorry, my Lord, I can't find anybody who's worse than me. So these are the two aspects. You know, there's Yudhishthir in all humility and Duryodhan in all uh, pride. Pride is a weakness because Duryodhan's pride was it was so badly hurt that when he came and he mistook one tile, uh, one square on the floor for uh, for land, for being firm, but it was water and he fell in the water. And upstairs all the, all the girls were laughing at him. For a kshatriya, that's intolerable. To have a woman laugh at a kshatriya, it's almost intolerable. See, kshatriyas are very, um, they're very quick to become angry. They're very quick to fight, you know. They're like, uh, well, I don't know, I won't give you a modern comparison, but <laughs> we see sometimes there are gatherings of certain groups of people and when they've had a few drinks inside them, they're very quick to start fighting. And that's why Friday night is always, you know, fight night in <laughs> different parts of the country. Very quick. And even if you don't say anything, even if you don't l do anything, just looking at someone, or especially looking at their girlfriend. He says, are you looking at my girlfriend? you looking at me? Are you looking at my girlfriend? You know, they immediately fight. So a kshatriya is very prone to fighting. And a brahmin is very prone to teaching. He's very prone to forgiveness. Well, therefore, the Mahabharata says these two are different. But they work well. <clears throat> they work well together. Therefore, a Kshatriya, a warrior, always has to have a Brahmin priest. And a priest always has to have some Kshatriya to help him. So you want to build a temple? You know, find a rich person. You want to be a rich person with no problems? Find a Brahmin. They work well together. And the history of Vedic culture is always Brahmins and Kshatriyas working together. When they fight, then you have problems. You have a culture in which you have kshatriyas and there's no control over their anger. And when they have the nuclear button, they press. Or when they have uh, big armies at their disposal, as it was at the time of Krishna, then we have big problems. And it is said that Krishna and Balaram came into this world 
to remove the world of Kshatriyas who could not be governed by Brahmins. And they did so in three places. In the Vrindavan forest, they vanquished demons. In a place called Lohaban. Lohaban was on the outskirts of Mathura. Lohaban. And many uh, were vanquished there because this was next to Mathura. And Jarasandha came with wave after wave after wave. How many times? 17 times he came before he was defeated. Well, 17 times he came. So all the demons of the world came to this place and they were vanquished by Krishna and Balaram. Not quite enough. Third time was Kurukshetra. Kurukshetra, they all came and finally all these uh, demonic uh, kings were, were vanquished. But when the relationship between kings and Brahmins breaks down, then you have a problem. And when you have an exacerbation of the problem, then the kings punish the Brahmins or the Brahmins, you know, as they did with King Vena. You know, the, 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 the Brahmins killed Vena not with weapons but with mantra. They had to be removed. Okay. So there has to be a good relationship between the two. And uh, uh, you see that Krishna Balaram came to restore the <clears throat> that relationship. Um, so um, Aniruddha got married. Uh, Krishna had um, 16,108 queens. Oh, I was telling you the story, wasn't I? So um, the uh, king, he thought, there is no man who's fit for my daughter. So he went, the story is that he went to see Lord Brahma. And Lord Brahma was at that moment being entertained by dancing and singing. And so uh, the servant said, can you wait? He said, yes, we'll wait. So they waited and waited and waited. Then they went to see Lord Brahma. And he said, yes, of course, I can arrange a husband for your daughter. He said, there's just one problem. He said, while you've been waiting, everybody's died. And we have a problem. And when your daughter goes back down to earth, she's going to be 30 feet tall. Because now it's just getting ready for Kali Yuga and everybody is diminished. So your daughter's going to be too tall for any man in the world. And ladies, that is a problem. Too tall, the men don't want you. Too short, they don't want you. Uh, these men are very choosy. Men, don't be so choosy. Ladies, don't be so choosy. Because with all these choosy people in the world, it's very difficult for the men and the women to get married. And we need them to get married so that the next generation can continue. Otherwise, we'll have a world populated by single people. And even if the single people chant Hare Krishna, that's very nice. But the next generation of demigods won't be able to come out. And Prabhupada said, there's demigods queuing up, queuing up to take birth in this movement. So don't keep the demigods waiting. But you will if you're too choosy. Okay? No such thing as a perfect husband. There's no such thing as a perfect wife. There's just people that you can get on well with and, you know, prosper. Anyway, so he was looking for the perfect husband. And in his search for the perfect husband, he lost all possibility of ever finding one. What do you do with a 30-foot-tall daughter? Anyway, eventually, Balaram came and he said, well, I'll marry her. I'll marry her. Her name was Ravati. He said, I will marry her. So he took his plow and he touched her on the shoulder with his plow and she came down to just underneath Balaram's height. 
Now, Balaram's plow can do many, many things. You see, because he was, he was very spirited, and they had to contend with many demons in their youth. And, uh, you know, when you're a, a Vaisha family, you don't, you don't really tend to have weapons. So the weapons that you pick up, if there's any problem, are the things that are closely to hand. So there's one weapon, uh, one weapon that he was very skilled at, but it, it came from when he was very young. You know that Krishna was tied to a grinding mortar. Now, the piece that you shove up and down to, to grind your haldi, uh, your turmeric roots into powder, this is called a mushala. And a mushala, if there's any problem in the village, the husband of the family, he goes and he picks up the mushala because it's about that long. It's not a little pestle and mortar where you do this. It's a great big thing when you do that. And it's great, you know. So um, when you see, uh, uh, and it's shaped like a, a gada or a mace, which is a stick with a ball on the end. You swing around, swing around. So at the, in the Olympics at the moment, all these uh, athletic things that they're doing, they were originally for fighting. You know, the shot putter, this is also for fighting. The discus is also for ancient Greeks. Uh, it would had uh, you know some sharp edges on it, so you'd throw that, and it would go skim through the air into the arm into the opposing army. So you'd have uh, groups of men, some with bows and arrows, but you'd have these huge, great things going through the sky. And the other one is called the hammer. And the hammer these days is no longer a hammer. Uh, it is a ball with a wire. So they spin round and round, and then they send this thing over. But in the days of Balaram, it was more like a hammer. So this is a mushala. So you, when it's used in a domestic setting, it's a mushala. And when you take it out, it becomes a gada. So then um, when you see uh, Jagannath, Baladeva, and Subhadra, if you look at the ends of Balaram's arms, you'll see on one of them, you'll see this uh, mushala. Still there. So, um, Balaram's gada, his uh, favorite weapon, was called Balachitta. Balachitta. And he taught many people how to fight. And he taught Duryodhan. And Duryodhan was one of his famous, one of his favorite uh, students. There was a great deal of love between, you can say, guru and disciple. He taught him how to, taught him how to fight. And he also taught, uh, who else did he t teach? He taught Bhima. He taught Bhima how to use the mace. Who else did he teach? He also taught, very sadly, he taught Abhimanyu. And Balaram was particularly um, sad when he came back after traveling around India to go to the holy places to discover that Abhimanyu had been killed in the Battle of Kurukshetra. Because uh, when, when the teacher sees that his, um, you know, his uh, a student is defeated, it's very painful for him. Not only that, but when he came back, he saw that his two students were fighting amongst each other. Bhima and Duryodhan were fighting. And they were fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting, and not one of them could uh, win over the other. And he was very troubled by that. So he said, stop, stop, stop fighting. And he tried to stop them fighting, but Krishna 
intervened. And this is another example of how Krishna and Balaram have a difference of opinion. Because, uh, you know, and Krishna said, no, no. He said, uh, leave them fighting, Kshatriyas. And then uh, it seemed as if, you know, um, Bhima cheated because he hit the uh, thighs, the groin area, which Kshatriyas are never meant to do. You're never meant to hit someone, you know, below the belt. And just like in boxing. You know, now they have this, you know, kickboxing, or karate, uh, uh, Muay Thai, all these different martial arts. You can use your feet as well as your hands. But in those days, uh, only above the belt. But there was some intrigue. Duryodhan was protected by the wonderful vision of his mother, Gandhari. When she came to protect him, unfortunately, he was wearing a gumcha. You know the story? Didn't want, didn't want to appear naked before his mother. He was wearing a gumcha. So she protected him, but then she was crestfallen to see that he still had the gumcha. Well, that gumcha meant that nothing, she couldn't give him the protection between the navel and the knee. And so when it came time, uh, Duryodhan was smashed by Bhima on that place. But there was a reason. Why? Why was his, why was his, Leg broken in that in the thigh. Why? Why was he? Yeah, because that was how he insulted Draupadi. He said, "Bring out Draupadi. Let's strip her naked." What a good idea! So you know that story. But then during it, he said, "Come on, come and sit on my lap." And Bhima said, "He said that thigh that you have just slapped. He said, I'll break that thigh." immediately and um, of course Krishna he told Balaram because Balaram was incensed he said did you just see what he did this breaks all the rules I taught them fighting this breaks all the Kshatriya codes hitting someone below the belt and then Krishna said no don't worry he said it is because of a promise that he made he made the promise to Draupadi that I will break your thigh. And so when the time came, that thigh was broken. But actually, Krishna had already made the arrangement because Duryodhan was going to see his mother completely naked. And Krishna, he said, where are you going? He said, where are you going? Because, you know, at the end of the day, they, they, they met together and they ate together. Okay, at the, at the end of a day's battle at Kurukshetra. So he said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to see my mother. She's going to protect me and make me invincible. <laughs> or words to that effect. He said, but, he said, you can't appear before your mother without a gumcha. Wear a gumcha. <laughs> so Krishna already knew. Sneaky, isn't he? Sneaky. Krishna's sneaky then, and he's sneaky now. And he's making, he's making the same kind of arrangements with you, each and every one of you, that you don't know. Krishna will make an arrangement for you to bring you closer to him in this lifetime. It's very clever. You won't even know sometimes. So anyway, then Balaram goes to visit Vrindavan and he goes back to Kailanvan, Ramagata. Let's sing it. Jaya Ramagata Jaya
Oh, you're not going to sing the other line? Okay. Um, so uh, this wonderful place, as we've just described, Ramagata, Hani, the, his own gopis, the Rasalila under the moonlight. What a wonderful vision. However, somebody didn't want to join in. And her name was Yamuna. Didn't want to join in. So Balaram used the tip of his plow to pull her. Now, I didn't tell you the other story. I didn't tell you. I should have told you this story. The highly controversial story about Balaram. Highly controversial. Because Aniruda was getting married. During the wedding, you know, people, people have a lot, there's a lot of fun, okay, during a wedding, looking at the Gujarati ladies. We play Kori Kori and all these different games. The men were playing chess. And, uh, Rukmi, who was the, he was the father of the, father of the bride. Brother of the bride. Okay. And you would imagine that he was deserving of, of deference being part of the family. The one place that you don't want to start a fight is at a wedding. But unfortunately, it's the one place where fights sometimes happen. Because there's a great deal of rivalry between the two families. Because the families, you know, the boy and girl might be happy, but the families never think that, you know, he's, he's good enough, or that family's not good enough, or her family's not good enough. They're never good enough, okay? Because they're not you. <laughs> so anyway, here's Balaram, and he gets in a fight with Rukmi. And the king of Kalinga is laughing because Balaram's losing the chess mat and all hell breaks loose, breaks loose, or all Vaikunta breaks loose. And uh, there's a few people end up with no teeth or dead, just over a chess match. But anyway, you know that story. So after this comes visiting Vrindavan, and after this comes Dvivida Gorilla, who's another person that should have worn a gumcha but didn't. He should have worn a gumcha because he was in, intent on displaying his private parts to the uh, ladies. And uh, Balaram said, well, this is intolerable. Now, you know, he's a gorilla, so you expect one thing of a sophisticated human being and another thing of gorilla, but he was so uh, incensed by this that he, you know, he had to have a, a fight with him. So first with... Uh, First with tree trunks and then with bare hands. And Driver de Gorilla was uh, dispatched. So then comes the marriage of Samba. Samba, of course, is uh, he has a very interesting history with a mace. It's the same Samba. Mace and Balaram and Balaram and the mace and the mace and Balaram. So Samba is the person who he went before the sages and he had a mace hidden in his tummy. You know, the big ball of the mace at the end. He put it under his shirt and he dressed as a lady with the, you know, the sari. And the boys came in front. This young lady wants to know, my dear sages, will, will she give birth to a girl or a boy? And then the sages say, this girl will give birth to a lump of iron that will destroy the entire Yaddo dynasty. <gasps> Voice became very frightened. Okay, and the, you know the mace dropped out, and they, they, now the sages have spoken. Whatever a sage speaks is like when a kshatriya speaks. Especially in Vedic culture, in those days, you don't say something unless you mean it. 
Hmm? You don't say something unless you're going to follow through. Now you can say any damn thing and they can't get you unless they've got your signature. Or your fingerprints. Or both. But in those days, your word was your bond. And if there was a witness or two witnesses and you spoke, then you've said something. And if someone says, you know, I'm going to smash that thigh because you've insulted my wife. It could be 14 years later, but it's done. You know, because everybody remembers. I will, uh, therefore Prabhupada says, the Prabhupada says that, uh, uh, you know, when you take initiation, uh, chant 16 rounds, follow the four regulated principles. I will. Okay? Means that you will for the rest of your life. And Prabhupada, Prabhupada would sometimes really not quite understand how people could make a vow. He said, but you've promised. He said, you've promised. In front of Krishna, in front of the sacred fire, in front of me, in front of the Brahmins and Vaishnavas, you made that promise. How could you break that promise? See? But in Vedic times, you made a promise. And you, therefore, you did two things. Before you made the promise, you made really sure that you could keep it. And after you made the promise, you put things in, pos in position in your life so that you could keep the promise. And all of society was about making promises and keeping promises. This is Vedic culture. So when you tell someone something, of course they believed it. Even if it, you, you could not say, for instance, yeah, but, you know, I was young when I did that. I wasn't really thinking. Yeah, but I was intoxicated when I signed the, you know. It's too late. It's like sometimes people, they come to me and they say, oh, I've had a, a bit of a checkered past. I said, that's okay, Krishna loves you. Isn't that that's what we say to people? He says, yeah, but does Krishna love my tattoo? I said, you've got a tattoo that you're embarrassed about? He said, yeah. <laughs> he said, and sometimes they have a tattoo in a part of the body where really you shouldn't get tattoos. <laughs> And you look at the tattoo and you think, and he says, well, I was, I was drunk when, when I had the tattoo done. I said, well, you, you were drunk, and maybe the tattoo artist was drunk as well. <laughs> it's a failure all around. So the point is, you cannot be intoxicated before you make a decision, and you cannot be uh, uh, in any way. But if you make the decision, once you have made the decision, then like that tattoo, it is, that's it. And therefore, uh, we find that in today's culture, people really don't like... There's one way that you can't be held responsible for your promises. You know what that is? There's only one thing that you can do in Vedic culture or in modern culture where you will not be held responsible for your promises. And that's to not make promises. So now we have a culture where people don't make promises. People live together. They don't make any promises between each other. Hmm? And this is even in the devotee community, we you know, just live together. Prabhupada said you could live together for a year, right? Before you make that promise, before you make the commitment. Some people just live together. No, it's not part of our culture. You make the promise and then you stay together. But what if it's painful? I made the promise I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Now you do. 
Now you know what you've got yourself into. But it's painful. Yes, it's painful. But whoever you married, you would have had the same pain. Because it's you. And she would have had the same pain because it's her. And now you're delivering to each other the same, same level of pain. And everything as, is as it should be. So we have to be careful before we make promises. But unless you make a promise, you can't get the benefit of what should happen next. So here, we have a marriage taking place. Samba is getting married. And Hastinapur is the place where this marriage is taking place. But it's not an ordinary marriage. It's a Kshatriya-spirited marriage. And what that means is that you know, Kshatriyas are very quick. You know, the engagement period lasts about, I don't know, 30 seconds in some cases. <laughs> you know, the Kshatriya, you know, you know, about everybody's leaving now. The, the, uh, the Kshatriya sees a young lady, and a standard chat up line for a Kshatriya is, my dear young lady of lotus eyes and thin waist and heavy breasts, who are you? Who is looking after you? Come with me. I will be your husband. And that's it. That's it. That's the Kshatriya sort of engagement period. And then they're married very quickly. And sometimes they even do... There's eight different ways of getting married. And one of them is kidnapping. One of them is kidnapping. You just ride in with your army. You kidnap the bride. It helps if she knows that you're going to do that on the day. <laughs> like when Krishna kidnapped Rukmini, she knew that Krishna might turn up because she'd already written a letter to him and she hoped that the Brahmin was able to de deliver the letter. So when Krishna came on the day, it was no surprise to Rukmini, but it was a surprise to everybody else. So uh, Samba, he turned up and he, he kidnapped Lakshmana and uh, although the family were quite, you know, oh, yeah, he's a nice boy, he's Krishna's son, that's not bad, he's part of the Yadu dynasty, She'll probably be looked after very nicely. They had to put up a fight. They had to put up a fight. Why? Because we're Kshatriyas. We can't just let you come in here and kidnap her without a murmur from us. So they had to put up a fight. So they put up a fight. And uh, they kidnapped, well not kidnapped, but they arrested Samba and locked him up. Now when news that Samba had been locked up got back to uh, the Yadu dynasty over in Dwarka, they said, okay, let's raise an army, let's go. Um, but then they said, no, no, let's do this a different way. Lakshmana is the daughter of Duryodhan. So let Balaram go and let's see if he can make peace. Okay? So, what do you think? You think that Balaram's able to make peace? Shall I read it to you? Okay. <sighs> So Srila Prabhupada describes. So what happened was when Balaram got to Hastinapur, they all, they all heard, the messengers, you know, the, the security guards that come out miles from Hastinapur, spies, and they have a chain of spies to help people understand. And uh, the news was sent back very quickly. Balaram's on his way. And Duryodhan said, It's Balaram, my old teacher. Let me go. Come on, everybody. Let's go and see Balaram. So they came up to the gates and even beyond the gates. And they came with sandalwood paste and flower garlands and flower petals 
and dancing girls and argya and maruparka and everything like this. You don't know the end of the story. <laughs> You're being pulled by your husband. So then he got there and uh, Balaram said, I've come not in my own right, but on behalf of the Yadu dynasty. And the Yadu dynasty demand that you, that you release Samba and allow the marriage to take place because it has taken, uh, this has all been done according to our Kshatriya code. So then this is what they say. So they said that, um, he said, uh, he said, who are the Yadu dynasty to dictate to us? See? The Yadu dynasty is not the Pandavas. You see, they had rivalry with the Pandavas, but at least they had some title. You know, they, it was like Lancaster and York. At least there was some title there, you know? Fighting, but at least there was some nobility dealing with nobility. But the Yadu dynasty, who are they? Who are they? That's exactly what they said. Yadu dynasty, who are they? We don't even recognize them as being nobility. Who is this Krishna? We know he's your brother and we love you, but really, come on. Who's the Yadu dynasty? I mean, it's almost as if the shoes want to come above the crown. When the Yadu dynasty says, you must do this. So you go back and you tell Ugrasena, there's no way that we are going to accept that he can tell us what to do with our daughter. This is like the shoes being going on to the head. Now, really. So go home, and uh, that's the message we want to convey. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I, w I wonder what Balaram did next. <laughs> so Prabhupada describes, Although Lord Balaram patiently heard their insulting words and simply observed their uncivil behavior, from his appearance, it was clear that he was burning with... <laughs> that he was burning with anger. There are some things... You just don't do where Balaram is concerned. Uh, and was, Balaram was thinking of retaliating with great vengeance. His bodily features became so much agitated that it was difficult for anyone to look at him. <laughs> he laughed very loudly and said, It is true, this is my grave Balaram voice, that if a man becomes too much puffed up because of his family, opulence, beauty, and material advancement. He no longer wants a peaceful life, but becomes belligerent toward all others. It is useless to give such a person good instructions for gentle behavior and a peaceful life. On the contrary, one should search out the ways and means to punish him. Just see how impudent are the members of this Kuru dynasty. I wanted to make a peaceful settlement, despite the anger of all the other members of the Yadu dynasty, including Lord Krishna himself. They were preparing to attack the whole kingdom of the Kuru dynasty, but I pacified them and took the trouble to come here to settle the affair without any fighting. Yet these rascals behave like this. It is clear that they do not want a peaceful settlement, for they are factually warmongers. With great pride, they have repeatedly insulted me by calling the Yadu dynasty ill names. Even the king of heaven, Indra, abides by the order of the Yadu dynasty. And you consider King Ugrasena, the head of the Bhojas, Vrishnis, Andakas and Yadavas, to be the leader of a small phalanx? Your conclusion is wonderful. 
You do not care for King Ugrasena, whose order is obeyed even by Indra. Consider the exalted position of the Yadu dynasty. They have forcibly used both the assembly house and the Parijata tree of the heavenly planets, and still you think they cannot order you. Don't you even think that Lord Krishna, the supreme personality of Godhead, can sit on the exalted royal throne and command everyone? All right. If your thinking is like that, you deserve to be taught a very good lesson. You have thought it wise that the royal insignias like the whisk, fan, white umbrella, royal throne, and other princely paraphernalia not be used by the Yadu dynasty. Does this mean that even Lord Krishna, the lord of the whole creation, and the husband of the goddess of fortune, cannot use this royal paraphernalia? The dust of Krishna's feet is worshipped by all the great demigods? The Ganges water inundates the whole world, and since it emanates from his feet, its banks have turned into great places of pilgrimage. The principal deities of all planets engage in his service and consider themselves most fortunate to take the dust of Krishna's feet on their helmets. Great demigods like Brahma, Shiva, and even the goddess of fortune and I are simply plenary parts of his spiritual identity and still you think that he is not fit to use the royal insignia or even sit on the royal throne? Alas, how regrettable it is that these fools consider us, the members of the Yadu dynasty, to be like shoes and themselves to be like helmets. It is clear now that these leaders of the Kuru dynasty have become 